Bibles and go back to John chapter 20. There are four accounts, if you're not really familiar with the, the, uh, the, each of the different Bible Gospels, the Bible stories of, of, the, of the resurrection, but there are four different resurrection stories uh, all through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are, so as I said, there are four different accounts, and they all tell a little bit different uh, of, of, from a different perspective. All the same main story, but each has a couple different extra details. In fact, tonight, uh, we're going to look at all four together and kind of uh, blend them all together and, and just look through the Easter story one last time. Uh, as, uh, we, and when we meet tonight at 6 o'clock, you're invited. We'd love to have you come and uh, take some time and do that. But this morning, we're just going to pay attention to what happened in John chapter 20. This is the, the account of, that John spends time talking about this woman named Mary Magdalene. You don't know much about Mary Magdalene. She was one of Jesus' closest followers, but she had a very checkered past. She was a woman that had seven demons in her, the Bible says, and uh, Jesus healed her of those demons, and uh, she just had a, 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 just a craving to know more of Christ and a, and a deep love. Uh, the Bible says that to whom much is, uh, those who are forgiven more, uh, you know, they love more. And, and I imagine Mary just uh, just had a deep devotion to her to her savior. And so John kind of points her as the the main character of this story. Of course, there's Jesus. This is all about him. But from her perspective, in a way, so kind of what we're looking at in John 20 is Easter from Mary's perspective. One of the challenges that that there that that arise on Easter Sunday is that I think that everybody in here has heard the Easter story. And uh, if, if uh, you had to, you could probably, in a nutshell, tell us what happened on Easter. Uh, and so when we gather together on Easter Sunday, there, there needs to be uh, a freshness. There needs to be something there that, uh, not adding something to the story, but we, I hope that we would see it in another way and, and, and make the story become alive to us again so that it just doesn't become the same, the same thing I heard last year and the same thing I heard every year. And, and uh, the same, it'll be the same thing next year. And uh, I hope that uh, you'll, you'll see what, uh, what we're looking at here in John chapter 20. Last week, I spent some time for Palm Sunday talking about expectations that people had for Jesus. The Easter ex- or the uh, Palm Sunday expectations. They were expectations that Jesus was coming in on this donkey into Jerusalem because he was going to bring uh, uh, justice. He was going to bring salvation. He was going to bring uh, an end to Roman oppression, and yet the same day that he rode in on a donkey, he quietly slipped out of Jerusalem. And it wouldn't be for another week until he actually came to do and accomplished what he had come to do. And the people over that week's time uh, saw that the Jesus that they had expected to see and the Jesus, the Messiah, that they had expected to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, was not the Messiah that actually came to them. We saw last week as many of the different uh, people, not even just the the disciples, but unbelievers and and, and the Jews and the people that had never accepted Jesus, now beginning to see, oh, well, maybe the Scripture prophesied this right, and and maybe this is what it's going to be like. And we saw that how their just expectations were just blown uh, to smithereens when Jesus came and did it His way. And... Spoiler alert, his way is a whole lot better than anything they were expecting. But we see Mary in this story, and Mary had 
very similar expectations to, I think, all the rest of the disciples. Just as with many, if not all of the disciples, Mary had certain expectations of Jesus that didn't quite work out. Can you imagine from the time that Jesus cried, it is finished on the cross, and they took his body down, they wrapped it up, probably tried to clean up some of the mess. A Joseph of Arimathea, uh, a, a follower of Jesus, a very influential man, a very rich man, begged for the body to, to bury him in his own tomb, a brand new tomb, that uh, a cave, if you can imagine a cave, and, and they would and he, he had just finished this out. This would have been a family burial plot, brand new, never used. Uh, according to the way that Jesus died, he didn't deserve to be buried in a tomb of honor or any type of tomb. He would have been buried uh, in, a, in, a, in a very unceremonial way. But because Joseph begged the body and Pilate gave it to him, he, was, he fulfilled yet another prophecy of who the Messiah is. You imagine as Mary was a part of this. We see scriptures that even tell us that Mary was a part of this burial process as well. And she stood and, and watched as they put him into the tomb and, and the, the, that all, all of Saturday and, and all of the thoughts and all of the, all of the emotions and the questions. If you've ever lost a loved one, you know what she's going through to an extent. You know how she remembers all the times that she had spent with him. She remembers all of the, the memories and the, the, the special moments that even she just had with him. She remembers the, the times when she heard him preach on a mountain or, or at a seaside. or She watches, the, the, watches in her mind the miracles take place uh, again and thinking to herself, how does this all work together? How does this fit? Because this is not what we thought it was going to end like. It was supposed to end with Jesus being crowned king, with Jesus sitting at the th- on the throne and, 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 and kicking Caesar out of Jerusalem and, and taking over the way that we all expected him to. And even Jesus' closest followers sat there dazed and confused while Jesus' body was in the tomb. Because of the time that Jesus had died, they... Uh, the, the Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, if you remember uh, some stories in, in John chapter 3 about Nicodemus, those two men had taken Jesus' body and they buried him. When they buried him, they, 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 they wrapped uh, inside the grave clothes, they would put spices and things to kind of mask the odor. I read something this week that, that uh, said that for seven days that the custom was that they would come to the tomb and they would actually go into the tomb and they would uh, stand around the body and they would sing, they would pray. And they would, it would be like, a, like our version of the viewing, but they would do it for seven days. And so they, but they didn't embalm anybody, and so they would just keep putting spices and, and, and oils and things to really mask the scent of that. Well, because of the time that Jesus died, he died right before the Sabbath, and so they weren't allowed to do anything like that. And so the, the burial, if you will, if you kind of view it as kind of incomplete, like they didn't get to finish everything they wanted to do. So the first chance she got, Mary is going back to the tomb after the Sabbath, and that's where we pick up our story in John chapter 20, Mary is heading back to the tomb. There's probably about four or five other women that go with her. Most of them are also named Mary, and so it's a little easier to keep track that way. Mary's all went to the tomb, and I guess that was like a very common name during that time. But uh, Mary goes to the tomb with these other ladies, and their, their intent was to uh, further prepare the body for burial, to further uh, uh, maybe put more spices in, in the folds of his, of his grave clothes and allow other people to come. But even that Sunday morning, 
was not anything like she expected. Think with me for a moment. She came with these other women expecting to find Jesus' body and to anoint it with spices. Now, they were expecting to find the tomb blocked by a stone. Joseph uh, had rolled the stone in front of the tomb, and they would do that commonly to protect uh, the body and everything inside from wild animals or thieves, grave robbers, things like that. Uh, and so uh, they, he rolls the stone in place, and the ladies, maybe in their grief or in their haste to, uh, to do something, didn't think their plan all the way through, because as they're going to the grave, they, they wonder, they're like, well, who's going to remove the stone for us? You know, obviously these ladies didn't lift weights, and they weren't uh, in that condition to be able to do that, and they were expecting to find a sealed-off tomb. What they also weren't expecting to find was that during the, the time that Jesus was buried, the priests that had had Jesus crucified decided, you know what, Uh, this man promised that he would raise himself up from the dead. Uh, We know that's impossible, but what's probably going to happen is his disciples, his followers are going to come in and steal his body away and then claim that he resurrected. Let's prevent that. Let's stop the lie right now. Let's seal off the tomb. And so they they took took, uh, clay or, or, or slime and And they not only had a stone in place that Joseph had put, but then they went further and sealed it off. Can you imagine the the, the, the Old Testament caulking gun, right? And And they're going around with this thing and sealing it off and making sure that it is sealed. Nobody's getting in or out. And if anybody tries to get in, we'll see it. Then they compound that with a Roman guard. They say, not only is the steel uh, going to prevent that, but we're going to put some guards posted in front of the grave uh, to protect the body. Now, he died as a criminal, but, I mean, his dead body now is being being, uh, treated as the the, the tomb of the unknown soldier. I mean, that's, that's how important they're making this because they don't want the disciples to come in and and uh, perpetuate the lie that he rose from the dead. Mary didn't know about this. They didn't know that there would be guards awaiting them. They didn't know that not only there would be a stone in place, that it, but also that it would be sealed off. But when they got there, it wasn't anything like they had expected. Because when they finally got there, the soldiers were there, but they were on the ground. They were they fainted. Can you imagine? You know, the, uh, we, got, we got a couple of veterans in the room here, you know, and, and, and you know how you go through basic training and you go through all the extra schools and, and, you, and you, you get top notch. I mean, you're the best of the best. And I grew up uh, in, a, in a military town and, and there was a lot of Air Force and Army and there was a lot of controversy about who was the best and who was tougher and, and uh, we, you know, how they, how they ranked and all these different things. But can you imagine maybe the, the Delta Force? Or, 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 or the Army Rangers, or Army Special Forces, or Navy SEALs. That's these guys in front of the Roman centurions. These are the toughest of the toughest, and yet they fainted. Because something happened worth fainting over. I mean, something so incredible that the bravest of the brave couldn't handle it. And the Bible says they fell down as, they, as if they were dead. So these ladies show up to the tomb, and there's a bunch of big, strong, scaredy guys on the ground. Maybe they've curled up in the fetal position, sucking their thumb. I don't know what they're doing there, but they are scared out of their mind because something else that they weren't expecting, there's an angel here. And I always picture, you know, the big, beefy, you know, strong, muscular. Angels probably don't wear sleeves because they want to show off uh, what they've got, you know, gun show. And, and uh, if, you, uh, if you have a picture like that in your mind, maybe ninja angel, something to that effect. Uh, he, there's one of them, and one angel was enough to make 
a guard. I don't know how many people would have been there, how many guards there, but it was enough to scare them all. They, they were so scared they couldn't leave. They were frozen still. And he's sitting on top of the rock. By the way, he moved the rock away. And he's sitting on top of the rock, basking in the, warm, uh, in, in the warmth of the day. And he's waiting on these ladies to get here. And these ladies show up not seeing anything like they had expected. They thought, oh, well, what's going to happen when the stone's still in the way? How are we going to get there? And he is there waiting for them. He asked them, why, you know, uh, he's not here. He's risen. This is in some of the other accounts as you, as you uh, put them all together. Well, what happened, a lot of the, a lot of the narrative is, is condensed in John's chapter, but Mary uh, runs to tell Peter and John, guess what? You remember how we buried Jesus? He's dead. You'll never believe what we just saw. And it was out of, out of confusion, out of the chaos of the moment. I don't think that any of them really believed that Jesus was alive yet, that he had actually risen, but they were, they were just concerned that the body was missing. And she runs and tells Peter and John, and I like how John, John is the one writing this, and as we, as we read through this, if you, know, if you know much of the Bible, then when John, John talks about himself a lot. The other disciple that we kept reading about, that was John. He speaks of himself in the third person. You know anybody like that? They talk about themselves in the third person, like, Tim doesn't like that. And like, aren't you, Tim? Yes, and he doesn't like that. And Tim agrees. And I'm like, what, what's your deal, you know? But that's John. But think about what John is saying, too. I get a kick out of this as I'm reading this. John's like, Maybe he's writing this because he knew Peter was going to read this later on. And he's like putting these little digs in there. Think about this. This is not in the notes, but this is just great. I have to share it with you. Peter, verse 3, Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, that was me, by the way, he says, came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter. It's like, I beat him. Peter's not that fast. And I got there first. Then he says, but he didn't go in. And then, uh, but then in verse number, verse number 8, Peter had gone in. Verse number eight, then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher. I did beat you, Peter. He's just like digging it in there. And, and it's just, it's just, it's just very, uh, I think it's cute. Now John writes this and he's, he's speaking of himself like this and not saying it out, out there, but reminding Peter, hey, remember Peter, I beat you in that race that we had to get to, I'm faster than you. And uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm all around better than, you know, I don't, I don't know what John, but he's, uh, uh, he is throwing these little digs into Peter. Well, Peter and John get to the tomb, and now think about what they were expecting to find. They had been told that there were Roman soldiers lying on the ground, fainted. They had been told that there was an angel on top of the, on top of the stone. And when they get there, none of that is still there. During the time that Mary had run off to tell Peter and John and the other women had left, uh, the Roman soldiers get themselves up, they brush themselves off, and they go back into town, and they tell the priests what happened. And they begin, to, this, they begin to form this lie, and they perpetuate a lie that he did not rise from that, but that indeed his disciples did uh, come and steal the body away while they fell asleep on guard duty. And the priest said, don't worry, if you get in trouble, we'll, we'll vouch for you, and we'll make it all be okay. You won't be discharged dishonorably or anything like that. So when they show up, there's no angel there anymore. There's no Roman soldiers there anymore. The only thing that is, as Mary had said, was that there is no body. They go, and I don't know if they were expecting to prove Mary. No, Mary, you're looking in the wrong place. There is a body. Bodies don't just get up and walk out of there. I mean, who resurrects from the dead, right? And, and then, then they get there, and they find out that, yeah, truly, this is exactly as Mary had explained. As Peter and John, they left, they went back home, and they're just puzzled and confused. They have no idea what to think about all this. I mean, can you imagine if you went to the, the, uh, the, 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 the graveside of a loved one that you had watched be buried right there and 
you realize that their body is gone. I mean, what do you make of that? What do you think? Is this the first thought? Oh, they're, they're alive. They must be walking around somewhere. They must be risen or someone took this body. What, what do we do? Are we in the right place? And all the confusion. And this is not just a one-time event, but this is something that's been going on for a week. I mean, they for three and a half years, these guys had kind of grown to expect certain things from Jesus. And then for this last week, it all just got jumbled up and, and just confusing to no end. Mary stayed behind, I probably think, just to, just to take one last look. She doesn't know what else to do. And Peter and John, they walk home, and Mary is there before. Now, mind you, they had gone inside the tomb, and there was nothing in there. There were no, there were no angels. There was no body. There was only grave clothes. And Mary is standing outside of the tomb. She's already been inside. She knows what, what, what was there. And then what was there the second time, nothing is the same. And she peeks into the tomb one last time, maybe just to get one last look before she goes home. She peeks into the tomb, and it's not what she expected to see again. Because Peter and John had just come out of there saying, Mary, there's nothing in there but grave clothes. But as she peeks in, she sees two more angels sitting there. One at where his head would have been, and one at where his feet would have been. And they're just sitting in the tomb, and they ask her a question. They say, why are you crying? They're not asking the way that we would ask if we saw a woman crying. That's a really awkward moment, guys. You know what I'm talking about? When your wife starts crying, that's like, that's unfair. I'm like, how do I handle that? I'm like, they're there, you know, a business card that says they're there on it. And you're like, I don't know how to console you, but uh, here's some chocolate. Or, you know, I don't know what to do. But the, so the, but the angels aren't asking, why are you crying, Mary? Are you okay? What's the matter? They're asking like, why are you crying? It'd be like if, if you know you 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 propose to your girlfriend or you give you give a present to your wife and she starts crying not tears of joy but she's crying like in agony like uh i thought this was a good thing and that's what the angel saying why are you crying mary and 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 she says cuz i don't know where jesus is that's her answer i don't know where jesus is i i wanted to i, I expected to find the body of jesus there and i don't know where he is at just that moment she hears a disturbance behind her. Someone's come up behind her and she turns and sees someone whom she supposes to be the groundskeeper, the gardener. He asks her the same question. Why are you crying? And he asks her another question. Who are you looking for? Again, this Jesus, we know it's Jesus. She didn't realize it yet. But it was the idea of, why are you crying, Mary? Ta-da! Who are you looking for, Mary? Mary? I'm standing in front of you, and she can't get it. Maybe her eyes are still blinded. Maybe the tears have have blurred her vision. Maybe her hair is in the way. I don't know what the problem is. It was early in the morning. Maybe the sun hadn't risen up all the way, and he was standing in the shadows. But for whatever reason, he couldn't couldn't, uh, get her to see who he really was. And she said this. She doesn't even answer his question. She said there in verse number number, uh, uh, 14, and, and when she had, oh, verse 13, I'm sorry. I know because they have taken my, away my Lord and I know not where they laid it. I'm sorry, that was the angels. Verse 15. Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid it and I'll take him away. She says, if you've taken him, tell me where you put him because I'm going to take him back. Here's Mary. who wasn't tough enough to roll the stone away, but now she's going to fight and she's going to carry this corpse back to where it belongs. So this is what I want you to get. This is Mary's mindset. All I want is to find the body of my Savior, of my Lord. All I want is the corpse. 
and Mary was representative of all of Jesus' disciples. They were simply concerned with the body of Jesus. These three questions indicate this. In John chapter 20 and verse 13, we see it. Why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? One question repeated once. And the second question, who are you looking for? But they prove to us and they show us an insight of Mary's mind, her thinking, her, 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 her perspective at the moment. She was stuck on the memory of a dead teacher. She was only concerned with locating and then securing the body, bringing it back to where she supposed it belonged so that they could continue with the grieving process. And Jesus opened her eyes with one word, her name. Maybe she had heard that so many different times. Maybe it was the way that he said it, or maybe it was just he finally opened her eyes and opened her understanding, and he said, Mary. And Instantly, she realized this is not a gardener. This is Jesus. This is the one that I came to see and totally different than the way I came to see him. The way I thought he was going to be is not the way that he is now. And he says, Mary. And she turns and says, teacher, it's you. It's you. I can't believe it's you. And she ran to tell the other's disciples in verse 18. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord, Mary. Mary says this to the disciples. Now we read in other places that the disciples didn't believe her. Let's give them a break for a minute. How many of you would believe that you had seen someone who had been dead for three days and now rose again? And someone came and says, I saw him yesterday. No, he's he's been dead for a while. Maybe you saw someone who looks like him. Maybe you had a a vision. Maybe you, you didn't really see him. But Mary really saw Jesus. I think about this, this, this phrase that when she would have come and said to him, I've seen the Lord. Think about that phrase for a moment. I've seen the Lord. Everybody had seen the Lord. All of the disciples that she was giving this message to could say, yeah, I've seen him too. I know what he looks like. I've seen Jesus. Before he died, we all saw him. We all spent time with him. We all ate with him. We, we, I mean, G- Peter and James and John could say, I spent more time with him than you did, Mary. I've followed him longer than you did, Mary. He took us up to the mountain. And, 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 and we saw Moses and Elijah. We saw that. He, carried, he took us in and we had the last supper with him. And, and we did all these things together. I've seen Jesus too, Mary. What's the big deal? But Mary had seen Jesus differently. Until now, they had only seen the Jesus who promised to rise again. But now Mary had seen the Jesus who actually did it. I've seen the Lord. And everything changed for Mary with this fresh new perspective of Jesus. I have seen the Lord. And Mary's statement marked the beginning of a brand new way to see Jesus. This perspective will carry to other uh, to other people as the story and as the day goes on. And other people will say the same thing that Mary says now. I've seen Jesus. I've seen the Lord. But it started with Mary. Not just as a way to see the Jesus who died for us. Not the last image of Him hanging on a cross, suffering and agonizing in pain, but as the One who now stands before her 
whole and alive and well and with a smile on his face instead of instead of, uh, of of agony on his face and with no blood dripping all over him and with no crown of thorns on his head anymore. The only evidence is the nail prints in his hand and the wound in his side. And, Jesus, and Mary could say, I've seen Jesus. He's different and it changed everything about her. Later, the rest, as I said, would come to see in this way. As we get down, as we read further past what we read, if you look in verse number 25, Jesus uh, had appeared to these men in, on, uh, on Sunday night. That, that very night, they went and met together, and maybe they're having a little church service, and they're talking about the events, trying to hash all this out and trying to figure it out, and they're going, and you know, remember Mary this morning, and she said she saw Jesus. All of a sudden, Jesus appears in the room. The same way that Mary had seen him. And they're going, she was right. Jesus really is alive. He's there. Here's the thing. Thomas wasn't there. Thomas was one of the 12 disciples. And he wasn't there for whatever reason that night. And so after that event happened, they ran and told Thomas, Thomas, guess what? We've seen the Lord too. Remember how Mary said she saw the Lord and we thought she was crazy? She's not. It's true. We've seen the Lord too. And look in verse 20 and verse number 25 of what, what, what Thomas said. Except I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of his nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. He says, I'm not going to believe unless I see it with my own eyes. The way that these disciples now saw Jesus, this new perspective, it's significant because it forever changed the way they lived and served and worshipped him. Think back for a moment how different their lives were before and after the resurrection. The same Peter, who before Jesus died and rose again, had a had a, a, a little episode where for three times in a row he denied that he ever knew Jesus, and he did it because he was afraid of the of, of the crowd. He was afraid of what the what the, the Jewish leaders would do to him. And and as he stood there by the campfire, as the other people said, "You're one of his," he says, "I don't know that guy. I've never seen him before." And he cursed and he swore and did everything he could to distance himself from Jesus so that he wouldn't be pulled in with them. And This is the same Peter who now, after he's seen the resurrected Christ, will stand before the very council that he was afraid of and say, the same Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. We read about it in the book of Acts as he would stand in front of 3,000 people and preach that Jesus is the Messiah and he's the resurrected Savior and he's the only one. He said, neither is there salvation in any other and there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He said, it's all about Jesus. He's not dead. He's alive. I've seen him. Where did he get that type of a, of a passion? Where did he get that type of a fervor? Where did he get that boldness from? He'd seen Jesus. Think about the other disciples, the night in the Garden of the Gethsemane. They ran in fear when Jesus was arrested. And Jesus went through that whole ordeal all alone because his disciples had forsaken him. But yet these same guys wouldn't be afraid anymore. And they would carry this message all to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they would die for him. And they eventually, all but one, would be, would be, would be killed and murdered and martyred in horrific ways. Where did that boldness come from? Because they had seen Jesus. They had seen him in a different way. They preached with more boldness. They served with more they served with more passion. They understood the scriptures better. They lived differently. You know, but unlike Mary and the rest of the disciples, we've not physically seen Jesus. 
we can't say and mean the same way as Mary and the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I have seen Jesus. I've never seen Jesus with my own eyes, and you haven't either. And nobody in this lifetime has. And nobody has for a long time, and we never will until He comes and returns. But we're not at a disadvantage for that. Because it was not the seeing with the eyes that made the difference. That's not what changed their life. It was the believing with their heart that made the difference. I want you to look back in verse 25 as they talked about with Thomas. Now these guys had seen the Lord. And they said, Thomas, we saw the Lord. And he says, unless I see it, I won't believe it. I won't, I won't take it as truth until I see it for myself. Eight days later, the next Sunday night, Jesus appears to the group again and Thomas is there this time. We get down to verse number 26 and it says that uh, Jesus uh, came, Jesus, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, he came here to see Thomas and notice what he says, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. He says to Thomas, do the thing that you said had to happen for you to believe. He knew what Thomas had said. And Thomas didn't have to anymore. Thomas didn't have to stick his finger in the handprints. He didn't have to stick his fist into Jesus' side. Now he saw Jesus with his own eyes and he falls down at his, on his knees and says, My Lord and my God, I've seen you now and I believe. But notice what Jesus said in verse number 29. Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. But blessed are those that have not seen and have yet believed. That's us. We've never seen Him, and yet we can believe it. Why? How do we believe without seeing? I'm glad you asked. Because in John's little story here, he's got a little bit more to say. But as John is telling this story, he takes two verses, and he stops telling us a story, and he takes this little narrator part. And in verses 30 and 31, he says, let me tell you what this is all for. He says in verse 30, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. The reason for John's gospel and for all of Scripture is to give us the same perspective that Mary had without actually seeing Jesus. It's to give us the same reaction that Thomas had when he finally saw Jesus with his own eyes and said, My Lord and my God, we can have that same perspective without having seen Jesus. How do we do that? We do that by faith. We do that by the faith that God gives us. Romans ten seventeen tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so I don't have to see it to believe it. I can read it and believe it. I can hear it and believe it. You don't have to visibly see him with your eyes to believe. And if we could just get this same perspective that Mary had. If we could get to that point and get to that life change that Mary had and these other disciples, it would too change us in a very, in a very dramatic way. It would change our outlook on life. It would change the purpose that you get out of bed in the morning. It would change the way you go to work. It would change the way you work. 
It would change the way we raised our families. It would change the way we interact with our spouse. It would change the way we interact with our neighbors and all of our relationships and all of these, all of these different uh, uh, avenues of our life and segments of our life would be completely changed. It would change the way we go to church. It would change the reason we open up the Bible or the reason that we do any type of ministry or any type of spiritual activity if we could just see Jesus. Let me just say if my perspective doesn't change the reality. It only changes the way I live. If I choose to believe, if I choose to see Jesus this way or this way, it doesn't really change who Jesus is. Thomas not believing didn't affect the fact that Jesus really was alive. Mary, uh, for the first time for a while, Mary was the only person who had seen the risen Lord. And it didn't change the fact that he had risen, even though nobody believed her. And still to this day, there are people that say, I don't believe in that. That's fairy tale. That's all fictional. You, how could you believe something so crazy? It doesn't change the fact that it's real, though. So your perspective won't change reality, but here's what it will change. It'll change the way you live. It affects your behavior. We must choose the perspective to have. You can doubt or you can believe. You can have faith and worship at his feet, not seeing yet believing, or you can say, you know what, I, I, I want proof with these two eyes. I want to see it. I, I, want it to, I, I want it to all make sense. And that probably won't happen. Like Mary of the, of the uh, before pre-resurrection, you can cling to the memory of Jesus in a tomb. Or you can see the Jesus who's standing in front of you today alive and well. Let me ask you, what is your perception of Jesus this morning? I know you came to church, it's Easter, and we know Jesus is risen. He's alive. Let me ask you, in your heart of hearts, deep down, how do you picture Jesus? Is he still hanging on a cross? Dying and bleeding in agony and pain and seemingly helpless? Is he still in a tomb? Kind of forgotten about now? It's been a long time. Ran its course. He did his thing. Didn't change. Or do you see him standing in front of you in the garden? Do you see him standing and, and talking and, 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 and alive and well? How do you see Jesus? Can you say with Mary, I've just seen Jesus. He's alive. He's powerful. He's real. He conquered death. He's not there anymore. He's alive. That's why we sing the song. We just sang it this morning. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. And I know He's living, whatever man may say. I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Why? Because he walks with me and he talks to me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives in my heart. I've seen him. Not with these eyes. But I've seen him work in my life. I've seen him do something different in me. My life has totally changed. Why? Because I've seen Jesus. Everything is different now. And I know 